on this episode of the SSI Executive Conversations podcast, Darwin sits down with Cody Simmons, CEO and founder of Dermasensor, a company revolutionizing skincare treatment by creating a handheld device to easily and quickly identify skin cancer. Darwin and Cody discuss the insights into Dermasensor, as well as talking about leadership, raising capital, and entrepreneurship in the post-COVID era. Well, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Cody Simmons to the SSI Executive Conversations podcast. Uh, Cody's the CEO of Dermasensor, which is a healthcare company that raised $27 million and is in the process of launching the world's first point-and-click skin cancer detection for primary care providers. Uh, as a bioengineer and, and uh, really a serial entrepreneur, he spent all of his career bringing new health technologies to physicians and patients. He's a frequent speaker at health technology and entrepreneurship events. Prior to joining Dermasensors, Cody led all commercial efforts for Silicon Valley medical device screening and monitoring uh, at a startup there. He began his career in business development and commercial strategy at Genentech. Uh, bachelor's of Arts degree in economics, as well as entrepreneurship in the bioengineering track from Brown University. And he received his master's degree in bioengineering, for which he completed his graduate research at Stanford University. Also, uh, pretty exciting that he was included on the Forbes 30 under 30 in healthcare. So, Cody, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Darwin, thanks so much for the, the introduction. And uh, yeah, very, very excited here as well. I uh, appreciate you guys having me. And the Forbes thing, I, I don't know the statute of limitations on that. It's a few <laughs> years old at this point, but uh, I, I guess still fair enough to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> still pretty exciting, you know. Uh, well, Dermasensor, I think, has an opportunity to bring a tremendous of, amount of value to the marketplace for, for skin cancer patients. So maybe you can kind of start us off by, by talking about what the, what the product does first. Sure, uh, happy to. And, and maybe I'll spend a minute on, on kind of skin cancer first and, and yes. sort of the challenges and problem of that. And, and then, of course, to talk a bit about the product and, and how we're, we're approaching things. Uh, so skin cancer is more common than all other cancers combined in the U.S. There's about 5.5 million diagnosed every year. Uh, people often think of melanoma as, as the deadly one, which certainly it is. The mortality rate is higher than all others. It's actually the number one cancer killer of young women. Um, but melanoma itself, which is relatively rare compared to basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, is actually expected to be the second most common cancer uh, by 2040. Um, so melanoma, which can be you know quite deadly, is also relatively common and increasing quickly in incidence. Um, in squamous cell carcinoma, even though your, your chance of dying from having squamous cells is relatively low because there's so many more squamous cell carcinomas diagnosed every year, uh, actually, it depends which study you read, but there's uh, roughly as many, perhaps even more deaths from squamous cell carcinoma a year than melanoma. So, so that one in particular is also a big issue. There's about 1.5 million. So in short, major problem, tons of these cancers out there, almost everyone that that I know and, and, you know, meet and talk about our work may not have a direct story, but knows, you know, knows oh, my somebody. friend or my uncle. Or, yeah. There's almost, or, or at least they can relate to the challenge of getting a dermatologist visit. Um, less than 20% of Americans report ever being screened for skin cancer ever in their life. 
Um, so certainly nowhere close to keeping up with the you know annual visit or anything like that. So, however, so I, I started off with all the negatives. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, pos- the positives are that early detection of skin cancer, including melanoma, is effectively a cure. 99% of uh, skin cancers that are diagnosed early, like many cancers, um, are easily treatable at, at that early stage. And the, the challenge and the frustration of skin cancer, but also the opportunity is that you can literally see them right there on your skin. Um, and so we really kind of now, now get a derma sensor. We really believe that the, the large opportunity comes from better equipping primary care physicians uh, to better detect skin cancer, right? Dermatologists, uh, by definition, are specialists on evaluating skin. They're quite effective with skin, with skin evaluation and care. Um, can you make specialists slightly better at, at what they do? Sure, everyone can be, can be a bit better at their job, uh, but they're already quite effective at evaluating skin, right? So kind of our focus is that, can we up-level the primary care physician? And keep in mind, assessing skin lesions and deciding should you go to a dermatologist or not, right? The patient that, that they're caring for is part of their scope of practice. It's very common in primary care. Often it's lesions that initially patients point at, right? Oh, my wife or husband kind of noticed this, right. this mole on my back or, you know, they come in for something else, uh, upper respiratory tract or hair loss, you know, there, there's some other condition like, by the way, what do you think about what about this mole or they have their shirt off and, and, you know, the doctor has a stethoscope out and they see something funky on the torso. Right. So um, a lot of it happens in that way. And actually skin conditions are the second most common conditions brought up in primary care behind upper respiratory tract. So colds, coughs, et cetera. After that, it's, it's skin conditions. So it's very common that skin is initially addressed in primary care. And often they're making that decision. Should this patient go see a dermatologist or not? And that's really what our product is designed to be uh, effective at helping PCPs make that triage decision. Um, And so what we did, so now into the product, we spent, I mean, really it's a decade now. So I I joined the company in in mid 2016 um, to really kind of get things off the ground as first you know, full-time team member and, and kind of co-founder and CEO uh, to miniaturize a 30-pound microwave size kind of prototype device that we built with Boston okay. University. Um, so of our few patents, a couple of those are issued from them. And um, we, to basically miniaturize it in, into the handheld uh, one-pound device that it is today. So we spent many more years and millions of dollars than, than I like to reflect on. Uh, kind of getting getting the device miniaturized, but that was kind of our core thesis, right? Which is to equip primary care providers whose average consult time is just like ten minutes. They've got to be able to do it efficiently, and it's got to be cost effective for them to to invest in it. Exactly right. Yeah, and that's what, like, and that's what all of our advisors, to their credit, from day one, have basically said: it has to be quick and easy to use for primary care. Otherwise, they're just not going to do it. Um, you know, dermatologists, right. because they're skin specialists, have a bit more tolerance, perhaps, for, you know, complex and or expensive systems. Uh, but primary care doctors, right, they have their stethoscope, their otoscope, you know, ophthalmoscope, blood pressure monitor cuff, and that's about it, right? They don't want to be buying $100,000 crazy, um, you know, imaging systems. No, it's got to be something efficient that the patient's already there, and if they can 
uh, screen them appropriately and identify that pathway correctly, and then also maybe make an additional revenue stream from that. It's a win-win for everybody. Exactly. And that's what, you know, for payers, right, if, if more skin cancers are detected in the primary care setting versus later in the dermatology setting, that's good for them. Uh, perhaps, right. you know, decreasing unnecessary referrals to dermatologists. But our main focus is really, can PCPs detect more skin cancer with use of our device to uh, and, and help better prioritize uh, the referral of these high-risk patients to dermatologists? Um, and so the device uses a type of spectroscopy. It's called elastic scattering spectroscopy. So it's basically pulsing hundreds of wavelengths of light and measuring the reflectance uh, at each wavelength of light through a microspectrometer that's in the device. And then an algorithm runs. And based on the training of the algorithm, like you know, what, what's malignant tissue, what's benign, the algorithm runs and basically gives a dichotomous, uh, the, the outputs actually investigate further or monitor. Okay. So basically, go, you know, go see a dermatologist or, you don't, you know, the device isn't recommending you need to right now, but keep monitoring the lesion. Because obviously, there's a reason why the device was used in the first place, right? There was some degree of suspicion. Right. Um, so you should never just, A, the device isn't perfect. So you should never just ignore a lesion and say, hey, it's, but also right. lesions can, you know, become uh, uh, a fair number of melanomas start as benign nevi, Right. So something that right. may be okay now in a couple of years may not be. Um, so so you that, keep track of that and determine when the right time to act on it. And though that, that uh, backlog in getting in to see the dermatologist, um, again, it's a win-win for everybody because if you were able to do that and there were less referrals, those backlogs are pretty long depending on where you're going to see that specialist. So it, it, it's a win for everybody in the system, uh, it, particularly it, the patients, obviously. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and for us, um, a pot, we also, when we met with FDA about this a couple of years ago, when you get a positive device result, there's also a one to 10 score that mm -hmm. indicates how similar, like, okay, it's a positive result, investigate further. But, you know, a lot of our work abroad, doctors are, were asking, okay, how positive though? Was it something yeah. that the algorithm was just barely concerned about? or thinks is very concerning. So that it's a one to 10 score that um, indicates the degree of spectral similarity to malignant lesions from the algorithm training set. Um, and so, you know, our, our pivotal study um, showed that lesions with the higher score, I think of eight to 10 uh, was about, I think it was a 35, 40% chance of being cancer. Um, okay. So again, the device is not a definitive diagnostic but that's, you know, use the device from when you, you pick up the device, you have a result within a minute and you can tell the patient, yeah, I was a little worried about it. And this device, based on the study results, actually, um, you know, there's it's not a, as concerning. A, yeah, either not a concerning if it's a monitor result, but if it's a result with, you know, one of those high numbers, you know, based on the study, this is a one in three chance of being cancerous. You know, that that's a that that's certainly a good indicator that you as the patient, you know, as the doctor, you should have that patient, not only go to the dermatologist, perhaps you make a note in the, you know, in the EMR or whatnot, that really be great if the patient uh, got in in a couple of weeks. And we've talked to health systems with eight month wait times, um, you know, melanoma almost could progress to stages, you know, they go from a, a stage two to a stage four in that time. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, so that's incredible. So I think that that's really, uh, kind of, kind of been our focus. Um, and we, you know, there's not, it's, it's tough, the technology side and kind of 
having a device that quickly non-invasively can improve physicians, you know, highly trained physicians performance in assessing a lesion isn't easy to do. Uh, and actually there's not a single uh, device on the market right now that's been FDA approved that uses any kind of image or optical, you know, light-based technology to non-invasively assess uh, a lesion. So, you know, we hope to be the first one. We received FDA breakthrough status uh, in 2021, and we're currently pending FDA review. So we hope to be the first one available, not only that uses any kind of light or image or, or to assess lesions, but also the only one that's available for use by PCPs. Um, oh, that's huge. And there's not too, there aren't too many clinical scenarios where, I mean, early te detection is huge. And so again, better for the payers, uh, uh, another value add for the PCP to the benefit of the patient and also improves that pathway and hopefully shortens the referral process to the, the specialist. Um, and you have less patients going to see that specialist that didn't need to go because of your product. So I, I think that's incredible. I really appreciate you kind of walking through not only the, the target patient, uh, but sort of how the, the, the product came about and how it, it benefits everybody in, in the ecosystem. Um, Cody, I, I love, you know, your background and uh, as an entrepreneur with, you know, startups, you've been at a larger company like Genentech and then, you know, went from startup to that, then back to startups and, uh, your, your career progression and titles are, are pretty interesting as well. Uh, so now, you know, as the CEO of Dermasensor, maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about your journey and maybe give a, a perspective on that larger company versus the entrepreneurial spirit, if you will. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, you know, I, I uh, had never heard the word uh, entrepreneur or startup, you know, in, in high school. I grew up in North Central Florida in a small college town called Gainesville. And, uh, uh, yeah, I went, went to Brown University undergrad and, you know, there was this entrepreneurship program and I was like, well, I don't really know what that is. But as I kind of heard a bit more about it, you know, freshman year trying to figure out w what you want to do, it was like, okay, that, that could be interesting. But um, started off in kind of the uh, engineering track, uh, which, you know, life sciences and kind of math and whatnot was always uh, uh, something of interest. But over time kind of drifted to the, okay, well, you know, the, uh, ended up doing, so there's a technology track of the entrepreneurship program. So I ended up doing that. And my focus was bioengineering and also double major in economics. Um, but felt I didn't really know enough science. <laughs> like, okay, I, I kind of did like pre-med sort of, but I don't plan on going to med school. So, so uh, ended up doing kind of a, a fifth year master's program and uh, did my thesis research at Stanford and in, in a great bioengineering lab there, uh, Professor Alshorn and um, so really kind of learned, you know, kind of hands-on what, what kind of top tier science is about, which was great for someone that didn't plan on being a scientist or engineer lifelong. And I, and I, I knew that from, um, you know, having worked with uh, some other, a couple other students to launch a crowdfunding nonprofit in undergrad and, and worked at a venture capital fund part-time uh, while I was in undergrad too. So I'm like, okay, I, I kind of like the sort of business side of new health technologies, right? Like how do you develop them and launch them? Um, not you wanted so much to be more involved in the strategy. You knew pretty early on, you didn't want to be in the, uh, in the, in the middle of the R and D or, or, or be. Yeah. My, my, and then again, I th feel like internships, you know, when I tell kind of younger folks or, or, you know, friends or colleagues, kids, you know, internships are as valuable for the process of elimination as they are for, Absolutely. You know, kind of, and, 
And my, my first one freshman summer worked part-time in a, a genetic engineering laboratory. Um, and it's like, okay, it's a kind of interesting academically, but like, I don't want to do this for the next 50 years. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what set me off on, okay, what about the more business and, and kind of entrepreneurial aspects of, of new health technologies? So my, yeah, what well, was my it? middle son, uh, a lot of people in our family are in, in, in medical or clinical. And okay. so that's kind of what he thought he wanted to do. Went and did a couple of different, you know, shadowing events and he's a pilot now. So that, to your point worked out yeah, really well because it wouldn't have been a good fit for him when it was funny so i yeah so while i was at stanford worked with a couple of phds to to launch a new health technology there we went through the startx accelerator i think it was in its year two or three now it's become a big kind of reputable accelerator uh almost kind of the y combinator level i would say um so it's interesting being there a part of the early days did a licensing deal with stanford and so kind of got a good taste of that and you know back to your question about kind of career steps and rationale um, I actually got, uh, some friends made fun of me for, for going to Genentech. They're like, you know, you're passionate about startup stuff. You know, you want to do that long-term. Why are you going to work for the largest oncology pharmaceutical company in the world? Like that doesn't, it has, you know, I think 80,000 employees at the time, you know, right. like that, that doesn't really make sense. I was like, well, you know, for pharma and medical device, like there's tons of regulations, like the capital requirements are huge. You know, one friend had just raised. $20 million for a crowdfunding t-shirt company. And, and, you know, I was telling them, like, yeah, like I, I, I don't want to do my PhD or MD. So I'm kind of doing my like industry PhD, you know, right. kind of get, getting that foundational knowledge and skill set, kind of in, in at the top tier life science well, I, company. And he made, he made fun of me saying, yeah, I don't, I don't buy it because, you know, you just finished grad school which, you know, that's two steps past what that lady Elizabeth Holmes is doing and she's <laughs> killing it and she's changing the world. And, you know, this was it 12 years ago. I don't know. And I, well, whatever. I'm, I'm not as smart and talented as her, you know, more power to her, but you know, I don't think I can pull that up. So anyway, we, we know how that ended, but. Well, right. Um, we, we obviously know how that ended, but I think the other thing is too, I mean, I've been at two really large companies um, previously, but I think having that experience, you, you know, if you just go into a startup right up from the uh, right initially or, or, or your serial from that standpoint, you're going to learn things quicker if you stay in business, right? A lot of businesses don't make it. A lot of businesses fail. But I think having that, uh, that reference to the large company, large company atmosphere gives you a lot of insight into things that you like, things that you don't want, and they have great training. So there's a lot of positives you can take from that which I think then help you when you get into the, into the startup world. Yep. So hundred uh, percent. And that's what I'll recommend to younger folks is like, you, you got to get a core competency in something, right? right? I think that's a challenge with joining startups straight out of school is, you know, is it, is it business analytics, which kind of, you know, what my background was at Genentech was always in kind of um, strategy and business development groups. So is it kind of like, you know, business development and analytics kind of work, is it sales? Um, is it recruiting? Right. I have a couple of friends that start off as recruiters that have, you know, being the, the, you know, uh, a C level, uh, uh, you know, C level at a really successful tech company running the, you know, HR department. You know, there's like, whatever you're going to do, learn it well, get good at right. it. And, you know, if, if you're passionate about it, stay in it and, and stick it out. And I think that's something else I've noticed that um, actually to continue on, I guess, with the, the Theranos example, I think folks that 
and, and if you do join a startup, hopefully it's got a good culture and there's good leadership, et cetera. But I think a larger company, you kind of know, to your point, you're going to get that good training, but also you have good examples of how effective business people think and make decisions and weigh things. Good, I've better, seen a lot of what we used to always call it in product categories of testing, good, better, best. And oh, you, that's a good you one. have to be able to identify the difference. One, and, and I'd say for early stage startup, it's important um, to know where the line, because, you know, there's the um, kind of fail fast mantra, right? And fake it till you make it and these things in the startup world. Right. But the issue is you need to know where the line is, right? I think a lot of folks that are physicians or especially engineers that they just hear like, oh, business people are really aggressive and, you know, kind of molding the truth and, and so like, I'm going to do that. It's like, yeah, but if you were never in a company like that, you, you don't really have a feel for what's pushing the envelope versus blowing way, way by what's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, like you can be kind of optimistic and positive about things, but you, it has to be based in truth. And I think some Absolutely. folks that haven't lived through some of those scenarios, especially at a, a good company that models where those lines are, they don't, you know, they mean like, I think Elizabeth Holmes would be an example, like they didn't, maybe necessarily mean to blow, you know, kind of way overstep the line because uh, they didn't really know where the line was perhaps in some cases that, you know, uh, not judging that situation specifically. But Well, yeah, I mean, one of the key things you just said there was passion and, you know, I, I don't, at our company, you know, my kids, it's all, you know, find out what you're passionate about because then in terms of how you grow, you study, you learn and you become competent more, you know, quickly, more efficiently it, it doesn't feel like work because you enjoy what you're doing. And I think that's really smart. And, and then it comes down to frame of frame of reference, right? Uh, you don't know what you don't know. So who you surround yourself with and how you gather information uh, and validate, it's really important. Um, why don't we talk a little bit uh, about some of the challenges relevant to getting funding as an entrepreneur and kind of your journey relevant to that at Dermasensors? Sure. Um, kind of funding and, and I guess company development over the years, you know, a big one for me is, you know, we, we absolutely would not be where we are today um, kind of without the support involvement of some really seasoned and successful, uh, you know, medical device entrepreneurs and executives. So specifically Dr. Maurice Ferre and Chris Dewey. Um, so they kind of, you know, uh, uh, formed the company and sort of hired a couple of folks part-time to kind of get the initial prototypes built and do some proof of concept studies. So almost it was kind of like NIH grant, okay. but privately funded, you can think of, uh, think of it that way. So kind of got that early foundational work in place, uh, not just with kind of the technology and things kind of pointed in the right direction, uh, but also, um, you know, the knowledge with what it takes to kind of bring a device like this to market. Uh, Cause you know, when I joined the company, I was 27. And so, you know, I had some of those experiences that I spoke about at Genentech and, and at Stanford, et cetera, but I definitely hadn't been through it successfully before. Um, right. Oh, and I didn't mention after Genentech before Dermasensor, I felt, so I did kind of done the, the concept stage a couple of times and kind of got a minimal viable product MVP and initial sales. I'd done that twice in undergrad and grad school, but hadn't gone to that next step of raising millions of dollars and having departments and, you know, <laughs> um, so right. I joined a, a startup that had just raised their series B I think it was a $9 million series B as the director of business development. And so, you know, kind of saw that, uh, ended up kind of major, uh, pivot or closing the doors around the horizon. 
Um, so that's when I was introduced to Maurice. So I've been there for a year, was introduced to Maurice, um, who's built two multi-billion dollar medical device companies. The first, right. uh, for, the current one's private inside tech. His prior one, Mako Surgical, went public and then a couple of years later sold to Stryker for, I think, $1.6 billion. Yeah, amazing uh, entrepreneur. Yeah, amazing entrepreneur. So a lot of the folks involved in that company have kind of spun off and started a few other companies. So Dermasensor, Orthosensor, uh, you know, they, they kind of got very involved in are leading inside tech now, like I mentioned, raised, I think, five, six hundred million 600 million for that. Um, so it's been great kind of having him as, you know, effectively my boss. You know, technically great mentor. You got an incredible mentor. Great mentor. And so to your point about funding and whatnot, having someone with that, that experience, that resume, um, kind of helping open some of those doors. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, if you're the one kind of full-time operating day to day, you know, a lot of those key decisions and what's the strategy and the vision that investors are, are backing, you know, he can, folks like that can help open doors, which is absolutely important. And you need those people around you, whether they're key early investors or a co-founder or advisor. Uh, but at the end of the day, you, you got to walk through it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think, go ahead. I was going to say, absolutely. Um, and you never want to be the, you know, the smartest guy in the room. I know that's probably hard for you, you know, not to be. You've got a great background, but you're surrounded with, uh, with incredible people. And I think that's, that's uh, an important lesson, right? We want to have uh, people around us that can, can direct and mentor us. Everybody needs a mentor. Yeah, and, and I, I appreciate, appreciate that. But actually, it's funny, you know, kind of high school, you know, did well, was valedictorian. And, but then I got to Brown, I'm like, man, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm working my butt off to get a B. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I, I, was my, I Yeah, multivariable engineering for, or sorry, multivariable calculus for engineering majors, freshman fall. I'm like, okay, I, I am not smart. <laughs> like, not now I understand what like actually smart is. And, and frame, uh, frame of reference you know, is important in so many different things, isn't it? Yeah, it's all relative, right? And uh, yeah, no, I, I think on, you know, anything numbers analytics side can, can certainly hold my own kind of background in engineering economics. But it's also, you know, what kind of intelligence, right? I, I think yeah. I, I have and continue to learn a lot from Maurice and others kind of on the sales side. Um, not, you know, we're pre-commercial in the US, but really selling from a fundraising standpoint, I mean. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, I continue to try to improve on. So, you know, that that kind of EQ and, and there's multiple types of intelligence, right? Uh, oh, you're so right. And, um, you know, in my presentation, you know, I'm, uh, I, I use multiple resources and still from a lot of different uh, people who are a lot smarter than me. But, uh, you know, Mark Murphy, Leadership IQ, uh, Hire for Attitude. I mean, all the data, 11 percent of, of failed hires over uh, a long period of time relevant to technical aptitude. All the rest of the reasons for, for, for poor hires, uh, poor emotional intelligence, not coachable, poor temperament, they're all, you know, they're all more relevant to cultural fit. So, um, yep. you know, there's a yep. lot more. No, you're it, absolutely right. It doesn't necessarily get it done. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Why, and, why don't, uh, uh, as we finish up here, why don't you tell us kind of sure. uh, what are the next steps for, for Dermasensors and what, what can our following kind of that want to follow uh, as you guys grow and uh, uh, what things look like? Sure. Uh, you know, so for us, a constant, you know, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but kind of product development, uh, first getting the device miniaturized and finalized uh, uh, to, you know, I think originally we were hoping a year, maybe two years, end up being three and a half um, to get it miniaturized and kind of design finalized for manufacturing. Um, you know, so now ha happy that we're kind of on the next phase, uh, which is getting through the FDA, um, 
so we're, we're under uh, the submissions under review right now, which is great status to, to kind of finally be at. So we, we announced, yeah, we, we announced, I think June last year, the successful completion of the first pivotal studies of any kind for a PCP skin cancer detection device for the U S uh, so that's, you know, kind of big milestone. And, you know, fortunately we, we raised a, a solid um, uh, finance. So 10 million, uh, kind of in the late 2021, early 2022, actually just a couple months, kind of closed out a couple months before COVID hit. Um, oh, sorry. Um, before, uh, that was the series a closed before COVID hit. Okay. Um, for that 10 million, actually a lot of that was right before I'd say the financing environment really took a turn for, for the worse. Um, but anyway, so, so that money will last us through, uh, uh, getting FDA approval. And so, you know, that for us is kind of the key focus now okay. is, you know, providing F, you know, addressing any FDA questions, concerns, et cetera. Um, hopefully the, the four studies and 7,000 pages that we submitted will be sufficient, uh, in terms of clinical evidence. I sincerely hope so. Um, but yeah, and, and you're kind of preparing for, uh, you know, understanding the market in terms, you know, is value based, is fee for service, cash pay, kind of where is this going to fit the reimbursement best? and getting ready for hopefully a exciting commercial launch in the near future. Exactly. Yeah. And kind of like I touched on in the beginning, you know, the more experienced you are in evaluating skin lesions, arguably the less benefit the device will have. Right. So trying to understand, you know, so early practice for physicians, for example, we think this could really be a big benefit. Um, but, you know, doctors that are looking at skin all day, every day, um, they're, they're already likely pretty expert, right? So so may right. not benefit as, as much from a tool like this. But uh, people that are new out of practice and uh, for those that don't look at it all the time, it it uh, compresses that time timeline and ability to bring value to the patient. Yeah, and we've heard from some physicians. So, you know, internists a lot of time are in a hospital setting. So skin is not first and foremost on their radar. So for them, even though it's like, yeah, sometimes lesions come up, but I, I, you know, I just always refer, right. You know, unless they really look concerning, I tell them they're okay. Right. It's such kind of a, I'd say sort of, there's no, no clear sort of guidelines and consensus on how PCPs assess lesions and make referral right. decisions. Right. And so we think a tool like this can help improve that. Um, but also the challenge in primary care is if they're making referrals, which generally PCPs are making referral decisions, some do biopsies, especially in more rural areas, there's no feedback loop, right? When yeah. you refer a lesion, maybe the patient comes back in six months. It's like, oh, that, that mole you were worried about, the dermatologist wasn't. And you're the physician. You, have, you, know, you have a couple thousand patient panel. You saw that. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to, it's like, well, right. which lesion the patient? Oh, I don't remember. Or maybe they did a biopsy and then the lesion's gone. So you, don't, you can't see it anymore. So unless you're taking a picture and you're kind of getting the result back from the dermatologist or the biopsy results, if they did a biopsy, you don't really get better, right? It's hard to improve because there's no feedback loop. So right. uh, uh, even if they are evaluating skin a lot, it's hard to really uh, sort of up-level their performance uh, because they're not getting the true diagnosis most of the time. No, it's super exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on here. Um, it's going to be fun to watch you guys. Uh, hopefully, uh, all the data comes back from the FDA extremely positive, and then you guys have a really successful commercial launch because the value that it's going to bring, not just to patients, but to the healthcare system. And from an efficiency standpoint, I think it's significant. Are you presenting uh, next week at LSI? 
I am. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be presenting and also on a panel. I think it's on Thursday. Okay. Um, so yeah, awesome. excited uh, to be there. And uh, yeah, no, but we're, we're really grateful to start uh, catching the attention of some folks uh, like yourself and, and LSI. And uh, we we um, were announced as a winner of the Edison Award a few weeks ago. I think we yeah, found that's out right. in a month. Congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, fun, we find out in a month um, kind of which which is it gold, silver, bronze, uh, but it, it'll be one of them. <laughs> and of course, from the FDA themselves, right, with, with breakthrough designation. And so, yeah, no, I, I think everyone is kind of agreeing – has agreed for some time. It's a very important problem and area to help improve. Um, and, you know, we've spent a long, long time, a lot of work developing a tool that, that we think will make a big impact. And like you said, ho- hopefully FDA uh, agrees. We'll find out soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I look forward to seeing you next week and uh, we'll be there. Uh, appreciate Scott Pantel and uh, the, the great for- format that LSI puts together to bring together the innovators and those that fund the innovation that's, benefit and patient population. So I'll see you out there. Look forward to your update and look forward to watching Dermasensors continue to grow under your leadership and uh, bring great value to the marketplace. So thanks a lot, Cody, for being on. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Awesome. For the video recording of this podcast, along with additional resources, make sure to find us on the web at SureigSolutions.com or follow us on social media and LinkedIn at Shurig Solutions.